feel like I'm hobbling a little bit uh, today. Some of you know that I turned 40 back in January. When I was younger, I always thought 40 was old. Is it? I appreciate you. I thought I was, you know, when I was younger, thinking about over the hill, and, and I, I don't hear about that stuff much anymore, but I hit 40, and I felt pretty good. I was like, this isn't too bad. But 40 and a half has been brutal. Back in July, I threw out my back doing something, and I went to my favorite chiropractors, and they got me all hooked up and worked on, and I felt pretty good, and uh, then last week, we had a small group pool party. And there happened to be some kids there that needed to be thrown into the pool. They needed to be dunked and schooled in pool basketball. And uh, Monday morning rolled around, and it was tough rolling out of bed. And so I'm, I'm hurting some more. Well, ignore the fact that I'm probably 20 pounds overweight, and I don't eat right, and I don't exercise. We'll just blame it on age. All right, so we are in the last message in this series called Surrendered. I've enjoyed uh, taking this summer and walking through Scripture and looking at different people and learning from how they were surrendered to God. We've learned from their successes, from their failures. We've seen how God works in them and through them. And so it's been fascinating to, to do that, but, and I'm sure Mason would agree, sermon prep has been interesting. Because as you begin to study these people, you learn a lot about who they are, sometimes about their families, the different situations. But because of time constraints, we are only giving you really a glimpse into the lives of the people we've been talking about. And so I want to challenge you. If you've never done it before, find a person in Scripture and just do an in-depth study. Take a week and just study that person and look at how God worked in them and through them. Look at their successes and their failures. What can you learn from them? And you'll see that God put these people in his word for a reason, so that we can relate to them, so that we can learn from some of their failures, learn, learn from some of their successes. Today we're going to be talking about a man named Timothy. And just in case you're curious, yes, I got the right one this time. We're going to be talking about Timothy. Timothy was uh, surrendered. Now, we're going to see that, uh, that he was surrendered. We don't really get a narrative of Timothy, but we get to see a glimpse of who Timothy is through the eyes of Paul. We'll see that Timothy was fascinating. Timothy, first off, when we were introduced to him in Acts chapter 16, he's fairly young. Some would say in his late teens or early 20s. Uh, he was the son of a Jewish mother but had a Greek father. He was circumcised as an adult, and if that doesn't make you surrendered, I don't know what would. I could probably end the message there. He joined Paul in his mission. He was well thought of by other believers that were in his community. And we see in Acts 16, verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. The disciple there was named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. 
For they all knew his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith. They increased in their numbers daily. We're going to see later that he was taught by his grandmother and his mother. He may have been a little timid at times, maybe a little afraid. It could have been because of his young age, maybe a little bit of his personality. He was often sent as a representative of Paul to go into different cities and different churches. But later on, he was sent to pastor a young church in Ephesus. But there's one thing that stood out to me as I began to look at who Timothy was. See, Timothy was a student. He was a disciple. And when you look at the definition of disciple as a follower or student of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. And Paul speaks well of Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with the father, he has served with me in the gospel. You see, Timothy ultimately was a disciple of Jesus Christ. But that was because Paul had discipled Timothy to show him how to live for Jesus. We also see in several of Paul's letters that at the introduction, he says that Timothy is along his side, just as we read, carrying out the gospel. And Paul saw Timothy as his son. A disciple of Jesus is a student. That means a lifetime of learning and growing into the person that Jesus begins to create in you when he first comes into your life. But we must realize that we'll never arrive to be perfect in this life. But it's a continual process of Jesus working in your life, the Holy Spirit working in your life so that you can become the person that he's created you to be. So a disciple of Jesus is a student. Now, I find it interesting that we come to this message at this time during the year. School is fully back in session. For some of you, this is a joyous time of year. For others, not so much. This past week, uh, my two oldest kids, they got to go to school. And uh, being the wonderful father that I am, I was giving them a hard time about it. Letting them know that summer was officially over. And they were having to go back to school. They're both in high school now, and it's hard for this father to wrap his, his head around that, but they were back in school, and I, I made this comment. I said, you know, I sure am glad I'm not going back to school. But then I immediately retracted those words, because sometimes as, a, as an adult, I wouldn't mind going back to high school. For me, I enjoyed high school. Got to hang out with my friends, play sports. Mooch off my parents. They fed me and clothed me and gave me shelter. Pretty easy. Now, there are things about high school that I didn't like. Couldn't stand the homework. I didn't like the peer pressure. 
some relationships that I weren't quite fond of. We've got to realize that as you go through high school, there's, you graduate, and you lose that label as student. Now, there's those that go on to college, and they extend that label of, of being a student for a few more years. Then there's those that, that uh, get their master's, and they go a few more years beyond that. And then there's the do- those that go get their doctorate. They go a few more years beyond that. And then there's the specialists that go and get even more education, and they're in school for even longer being labeled as a student. But then there's these people, and I may be wrong about them. They're the, I call them lifers. They seem to be students for life. Now, when I was at Oklahoma Baptist University, I went there in my freshman year. I was in my dorm, and we were in a hall. I had a bunch of freshmen in it, but there were these two guys that were kind of catty-corner across the hall. They were old. And I mean old. My 18-year-old brain said, these guys are old. And I wondered, why are they still in college? And why are they in a freshman dorm? I don't think they were RAs. I don't really ever remember socializing with them. I said, these guys must be lifers. Dedicated to being a student for life. So I say this, a disciple of Jesus is a lifer. That means you're going to build upon and implement everything that you've learned into your life. But see, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, there's one more step that needs to be taken. We must be intentional about teaching others all the while continuing to grow in our faith. And we're going to see through the letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, that this is exactly what Paul was encouraging Timothy to be. Now, Paul wrote two letters to him. He left him to be a pastor at this young church in Ephesus. And so he wrote these two letters at two different times. And we'll be looking at 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy seems to be a little more personal. And we're going to see that as, as Paul's writing these letters, they're letters of encouragement but they contain personal instruction for Timothy to implement into his life alongside with instruction for the church. So we're going to start in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as did my ancestors. With a clear conscience, I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So I want you to imagine for a moment. Just picture Paul. Paul is writing this letter towards the end of his life. He's sitting in a prison cell, and he's reflecting on his life. He's reflecting on this particular relationship that he has with Timothy. And I know that some of us have been there before. When we're kind of alone in our thoughts, we begin to think about our life. We begin to think about those that that really matter to us. And so Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, and we can clearly see that he's thinking about him. 
He knew him well. He remembers him as his son. And he even longed to see them, see him so they could be filled with the joy. Paul talks about the sincere faith that Timothy has, which only echoes what we just read in Philippians chapter 2, where he said that I have no one like him, someone to be genuinely concerned about your welfare. Others are concerned about their own interests, but he's concerned about the interest of Jesus Christ. And you know that Timothy's proven his worth. So I ask you this question. Is your faith sincere? Do you genuinely believe in what Jesus Christ did for you and that you're allowing the Spirit to work in your life to mold you and shape you into who you ought to be? If you answered yes to that question, Here's a more challenging one. Are you more concerned about your interest or the interest of Jesus Christ? Because our own nature is to be more concerned about me, more concerned about my life, my family. And sometimes when we become so concerned about our own life, we ignore the interest of what Jesus Christ would want for our life. And for our relationships that we have. We know that Timothy is a man of sincere faith. He genuinely cares for the welfare of others. And he places the interest of Jesus Christ above his own. Then Paul recognizes that Timothy's faith. Timothy's faith first, first came from his grandmother and then his mother. Grandparents, parents, we need to pay attention to these words. Because if you remember in Acts 16, it says that Timothy was well spoken of by other believers in the community. This was because of his upbringing. He had a grandmother and a mother who invested themselves in Timothy so that he would know the Lord. When it comes to discipling our children, that's a parent's responsibility. Now, it doesn't mention his father. We do know that he was Greek. We don't know what kind of spiritual influence he had on him. And maybe that's why Paul stepped in as a father figure in Timothy's life. But that doesn't dismiss us fathers from not stepping up and being the spiritual leaders in our homes. To being the spiritual leaders of our children. Because in the church today, we see a growing need for fathers to step up to the plate and be the men that he's called us to be. So Timothy, through Paul, experienced that. But then Paul goes on to tell Timothy, I know that your faith is sincere. You've known the Lord from a young age. But look what he tells him in verse 6. For this reason I remind you, to fan and to flame the gift of God. See, we don't know whether that was a specific spiritual gift, maybe like preaching or teaching, but we do know that as a believer, you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. And just as we fan a flame to create a fire, Timothy needed to fan this into flame, a continuous ongoing action, so that he become on fire for God. Because when you become on fire for God, you become one who would not hold back from speaking about Jesus, regardless of the circumstances. 
Timothy may have been a little fearful, maybe a little timid at times, maybe he wouldn't speak up with the courage that he needed because he wasn't maybe fully depending on, upon the Spirit of God. And he reminds him, for the God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. That's where you gain your courage. And sometimes we too can fall into that same problem. Maybe we feel like we've got to speak about Jesus or share Jesus with someone. But we become a little timid, a little afraid, because we're depending upon our own strength and not the power that comes from the Spirit of God. Sometimes we don't take that serious enough. So we have the power of God dwelling within us. He's reminding Timothy to fan and to flame this gift that God has given you. Chapter 2, he continues to build upon that. Verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So he continues, learn to depend upon the Spirit of God. But I want you to be strengthened by the grace that is given to you through Jesus Christ. It's because of Jesus Christ is the reason that you are who you are. Jesus Christ is the reason that you're free from sin. Your strength must come from Jesus. And Paul says in verse 2, he gives him instructions. He says, and what you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men. So everything that you've learned, all that you've heard from me, you two are pass that along to others. Now, he's specific. I believe that we're to preach the gospel to all people. But in this case, Paul is being a little more specific. He's talking about what we call discipleship. You are to find faithful men who will then, as he goes on to say, who will then pass it along to others. Paul's saying, just as I've demonstrated in my relationship with you, you are to then go and do with others. And you depend upon the Spirit of God. Be strengthened by the grace of Jesus Christ. Find those faithful men and teach others. This is why the church exists. The church exists so that we can be disciple makers. We're to come and encourage one another, come and exalt the name of Jesus Christ, but our main purpose is to be disciple makers. We don't come just to sit and sing a few songs and then go home. It's about discipling one another and discipling those who will then go and make disciples. That's how the church spreads. That's how we add to the kingdom of God. If you know, our mission statement is this, leading people to follow Jesus and live like Jesus. That's why we as a church gather together to lead others, to follow him, and to live like him. So I ask you this question. Are you leading someone to follow Jesus and live like Jesus? That's our mission. That's what we are called to do. 
Are you investing yourself in someone as Paul has instructed Timothy? Someone that is willing to take that on and pass it on to someone else. That's how we grow the kingdom of God. Now, Timothy is considered to be a man of sincere faith. He's still a student learning as he goes. But see, he's challenged to also teach others as he goes. But it doesn't stop there. Flip with me to chapter 3, verse 10. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, from deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So Paul has recognized that Timothy is a man of sincere faith, and he's praised him for how he's followed him in his own faith and how he's grown. But he gives him a warning. If you choose to live a godly life, just know that you will face persecution. It will come. So if you are going to be persecuted, you must continue in what you have learned. When I was in the 10th grade, I was sitting the first day in my English class, and I happened to sit next to this file cabinet. And this file cabinet had this poster on it. All I really need to know I learned in kindergarten. I'm going to read it to you. You can read it on your own if you're not familiar with it. But I sat there as a 10th grader, and I read this poster, and my eyes got big. And I go, what am I doing here? This is right. There's so much truth in what's being said here. I graduated kindergarten. I'm set. Why do I need high school? Now, fortunately, I've become a little wiser. Not as much as I probably should, but I understand that everything that you learn in the kindergarten is really just a foundation for what you're supposed to build upon as you get older. And so that's what Paul is trying to explain to Timothy. You have a sincere faith. You have a foundation. You've known sacred scriptures since you were young. You need to build upon this foundation that you have. There's evil people and imposters are going to go from bad to worse. They're being deceived and deceiving others. But don't get caught up in that. You must continue in what you have learned. Timothy would have had some of our Bible, not the entirety of what we have today, but had portions of the Old Testament. 
He may have even had some of the letters that Paul had written because in chapter 4, verse 13, uh, Paul says, I want you to bring the books and above all, the parchments. These could have been letters that were written by Paul that he had in his possession so that he could continue to learn and grow. But then he goes on there in verse 16. As he's talking about these sacred writings, these scriptures, he challenges them. He says, you must engage with him through his word. Because all scripture is breathed out by God. The words that we find in this book, in this collection of books, are the very words of God. And they're meant to teach us, teach us more about who he is, show us our faults, help us to see the corrections that need to be made in our lives, to train us up in righteousness, which is why we talk about it all the time, this need to get into God's word on a daily basis, to make it uh, something that you start your day with or that you spend a significant amount of time in so that you can know the Lord. And we were faithful to spend time in his word daily. We understand the very heart of God. If you aren't spending time in God's word, how are you getting to know him? This is without a doubt the best resource that you have in your possession. And I have mentioned it before. We take this thing for granted. And we must spend time growing in our relationship with God by engaging in him through his word. And when we do, we will see the world through his eyes. We will learn to depend more upon his spirit and not our own strength. And we can make more sense of this messed up world. You can find purpose in your life through his word because he's the one that created you. Who knows better than he does? And if we're faithful in his word, as it says there in verse 17, it says the man of God may be complete. We become complete in him. Separate from him, you're still broken. But by engaging in his word, you grow closer and become one with the Father in heaven. And then you become equipped to carry out his which is why we exist as a church. So we become a person who is surrendered when we engage with God through his word. Timothy was a man of faith. He was a person that was dedicated to the message of the gospel. But as we saw, he still needed to fan into flame that gift that God had given him, learn to depend upon the spirit even more, to find his strength in Jesus Christ. He needed to go and invest himself in other people, to disciple others who would then go other, make other disciples and continue to stand firm in everything that he learned in his life. If you and I are to be surrendered, we must learn to do the same, to be a student for life, a disciple of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to close out this message this morning with this video.
How do we grow? By strength or resolve, can we make it so? Can we shape the course of our lives according to our purpose and designs? Or add a single hour to the measure of our time? How can we ever venture into what is unknown when we are incapable of the smallest change on our own? Looking back over the span of our lives, we can see the marks that testify to how far we've come, how much we've grown, how much of His grace we have been shown. The marks of maturity on our lives, the evidence of the work of Christ, the seed that He has planted in our heart. The Lord has also watered and will refine every part. It is His intention to give it growth until it comes to fruition. He has sealed it with His oath that He who began this good work in you will see it through. In this lies our hope, not in what we do. But we do not grow alone. Our roots are intertwined, one with another, so that your strength is mine. While we wait in expectation, no growth can be seen. The tender shoots that so quickly spring up must grow strong, lest they remain frail and green. Would we be overwhelmed by perils in store that his timing seeks to prepare us for? Let us endure our trials with patience, for it's in his goodness that we trust and hold fast to our commitment, resting in his faithfulness to us. His goal is for our good. On this our assurance falls, that he who began this good work will surely make it grow tall. Father God, I just want to thank you for this morning. I thank you for this summer. I thank you for this time that we've gotten to spend over the course of the summer looking at these different people that you've placed in Scripture for us to learn from. I pray, Lord God, that we would be surrendered to you. That each member of this body of believers would fully surrender themselves to you. Willing to do anything and everything that you ask. May we learn to, to depend more upon your spirit. To become on fire for you. I pray, Lord God, that we would be willing to teach others, just as Paul had instructed Timothy, that we would disciple people who go on to disciple others. I pray, Lord, that we would be willing to invest in others. I ask, Lord God, that we could just continue to stand firm in all that you've taught us and all that you've shown us. It may be for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.